Well, we have begun our journey to the cross. Each week, leading up to Good Friday, each week we're going to look at one of the events that took place in Jesus' life as he moved closer and closer to the cross of Calvary. Last Sunday, we saw where the time had arrived and he, according to the, the scriptures, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And from that moment on, he is headed to the cross. Each week, we'll stop and look at something that happened along the way. This morning, we find ourselves in John chapter 11. If you have your copy of scripture with you, or if you like to follow in the Bible app, you'll be glad to know that the preacher finally got it together and you actually have an event in the Bible app that you can follow along the worship service this morning. Quite a few years ago in Artesia, New Mexico, Mary Bratcher accidentally ran over her own pet dog, Brownie. The family tearfully buried that mixed-breed dog in the field near their ranch home. The family's little boy, Toby, was three years old. He didn't understand, and he refused to accept that his pet was dead. Interestingly, the dog's mother, like the real dog's mother, not like some of y'all say you're your dog's parents. <laughs> but the mama dog also refused to believe that Brownie was dead. She went to the field, dug up the body, and brought Brownie's body back to the house. The family was surprised when they found Brownie caked with mud, dried blood, and breathing. They rushed him to the vet, and believe it or not, he did survive. He lost an eye, and his shoulder was broken, but he did survive. They renamed Brownie. And now, instead of going by Brownie, he goes by, have you guessed it? Lazarus. He was in the tomb. And then he wasn't. That's the amazing story that we get to read this morning. And <clears throat> Savannah has done a good job summarizing it for us which is helpful because I don't want to take time to read the whole chapter. What I'd like for us to do is start at verse 38. Look with me at verse 38 in chapter 11. Mary and Martha have already called for him. He has arrived. They've had conversations. Now in 38, Jesus deeply moved again. We already read, that, or we saw earlier in the text, that he wept over the loss of his friend. And now in 38, it says he, he was deeply moved again. And he came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone lay against it. You know why they put stones in front of the tombs? And 
Jesus' story was a little bit different because in Jesus' story, they not only put the stone in front of the tomb, but it was sealed. And so that had a whole nother security kind of level. Most of the time, when they put a, when somebody was buried in a cave, they would put a stone in front of it, mainly just to keep the critters out. Because when, when wild animals uh, smell a decaying body, they become very interested. And so the, the stone is there really just to do the little bit of preservation they could do to honor the person. And so he was put into a small cave and a stone was put in front of that small cave. In 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. No matter what translation I read that, verse 39, no matter what translation I read that from, I hear the King James Version with which I grew up, and as I read that, I hear, he stinketh after four days. The, the Jews did not treat the bodies quite like we probably imagine. When we hear about them using perfume and myrrh and things like that for Jesus, the preparation right before he's, when we hear about that, I think I usually have pictured that they're preparing the body like the Egyptians did. Actually, it was much less than that. They didn't, they didn't embalm. They just kind of put a little bit of stuff to cover up the smell for a little while. There wasn't much embalming that happened, and there really wasn't that much wrapping up, not like a mummy like you see in the... It was more of a covering, primarily. And so there wasn't a whole lot they could do, and after four days... Yeah, he stinketh. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? What I want us to see first of all this morning is that there was an unexpected miracle. Martha says, Jesus, you don't, you don't understand, man. Uh, this, this, is, this is not going to go well. Um, he's, he's been in the tomb too long. He, he, he already stinks. You don't want to open that door. You don't want to roll away that stone. Uh, Jesus, you don't understand how bad it is. God, you don't understand how bad my life is right now. God, you, you, I, I know you love me, but, but you just don't quite get what I'm going through. Nobody really understands. Have you been there? Nobody really understands how bad it is right now. God, I, I know you love me and I know you mean well, but, but this isn't going to work. Chances are we've all been there or pretty close to it a time or two. She says, it's kind of too late. And he says something very interesting. Did you hear his response? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
there are times when we don't understand why things are happening. We don't understand what is happening. There are times that we can't see things clearly. And so he says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see? We think of it in reverse, don't we? What do we say? We say seeing is believing, right? Sometimes we'll say, I'll believe it when I... For us, seeing comes first. When I see it, then I'll believe it. But did you notice how he flipped that completely? Did I not tell you that if you believe, then you will see the glory of God? I think he's probably referring to verse 4 in this same chapter. If, if you can easily f jump back to verse 4, look at that. He says, but when Jesus heard it, that is when he heard that Lazarus had died, when Jesus heard it, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus had already said this is not going to end in death. This is going to end in God's glory and the son of God's glory. So when Martha says it's too late, it's worse than you think, nobody understands. Jesus says, I told you if you'd believe, you'd see something. You'd see God's glory. It was an unexpected miracle when he took charge and brought life out of death. She wasn't expecting it. She thought it was too late and it, they had gone too far. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He says, take away the stone. She says, oh no, it's too late, it's too bad, you don't understand. Take away the stone. And they roll away the stone and Jesus lifts his eyes to speak to God the Father. Now, understand that, that when he speaks to God the Father, notice two things. One, he lifts his eyes. Does prayer count if you have your eyes open, don't you have to have your head bowed, eyes closed, every head bowed, every eye closed? Yes, I see. Yes, I see that hand. Jesus lifts his eyes. Not because God lives up there, as much as it is recognizing how small we are as humans and how grand he is as our God. All we know to do is to look up. We understand that he is with us. He is present. But Jesus looks up. He also does that so the people around him will recognize that he's speaking to God the Father. We're going to find out in just a moment that the whole purpose of this prayer is so that the people around him will hear and see him praying. The other thing that caught my attention was, did you notice that he spoke in past tense? 
When he prayed in verse 41, he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. See, he's already done the prayer. He's already prayed that Lazarus would come to life and that God would be glorified. That part's already done. Now he is already thanking God for the miracle that's about to happen. Thank you that you have heard me. He hasn't done anything yet. But Jesus is already thanking him. You know, when we sit down at the table, we often pray before the meal. Thank you for these blessings. We thank him before we receive the blessings, the food. What if we were to live our lives like that? So that at the beginning of each day, we say, thank you for what you're about to do in my life today. Not just the meal, thanks for the bread and the Dr. Pepper, but at the beginning of the day, God, thank you because I know you're going to do something today. I don't know what it is. I can't wait to see it, but I'm already grateful. God, thank you for the blessings that are about to come my way this day. Sometimes I like to challenge you one week at a time, so here's your challenge. For the next seven days, as soon as you wake up, let the first two words be thank you. As soon as you wake up, thank you. Now you got to figure out what to say thank you for because you already started a conversation. Thank you for the blessings that you're going to bring my way today. And then you enter into that day with that, with that sense of gratitude and a sense of anticipation. You're watching to see what he's going to do. So Jesus prays as an example to those around him. He looks up and he says, thank you that you've already heard the, the, the prayer in which I asked you to move. Thank you for that. Now we're excited to see what's about to happen. And so in 41, he prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I want them to know you're the one at work, so then they'll understand that I am here on your behalf. So I'm praying aloud this time and looking up this time, so they will know that you're the one who's doing all of this. 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I love that he cried out with a loud voice. If Lazarus is dead, is he going to hear better if it's louder? <laughs> you see, the point is, Jesus didn't use a loud voice so that Lazarus could hear. Jesus is God. He very well could have whispered and things would happen. Why then did he choose to use the loud voice for the same reason that he just prayed publicly? He wanted the people around to know what was happening, to hear that God was at work. And so he says, Lazarus, come forth. One of the very early preachers in, in America pointed something out that has been repeated through the, the decades, through the centuries, really. 
And that is the interesting idea that perhaps had Jesus not used the name Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Had he not called Lazarus by name, the power of his words might have brought all the dead in the area out of their tombs. Scripture does not verify that, but isn't that an interesting idea? And it speaks to the power of Jesus. It is that power that caused Lazarus to rise from the dead, but it's not because he was loud. He was loud so the people would understand and give God the glory for what they were seeing because he knew that before they could fully give God glory, they had to believe. So he says, thank you for what you've done. I pray this so they'll know you're the one who's doing it. Lazarus, come out. 44, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He not only came to bring life, but he came to bring freedom. It wasn't enough that Lazarus was alive. He also wanted to have an abundant life. He wanted wanted Lazarus to have freedom. So get the stuff off of him so that he can be free. That's the way he works. As we think about an unexpected miracle, I want you to also notice this morning before we go too much farther that there was an undeserved opportunity. There was an unexpected miracle, but there was also an undeserved opportunity. Before we leave this paragraph, did you notice a couple of things? Look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Verse 44, he said, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is God. He is demonstrating the power of life over death. It is by his words that life happens. And yet he chooses to allow other people to be a part of the experience. Roll the stone away. He didn't need people to help him with that. He chose to include them. Take off the bindings. He didn't need people to help with that. He chose to let people be a part of the experience. He provided for them an undeserved opportunity for ministry. For the last three weeks, I've been getting around on one of those knee scooters. Call it my go-kart. And those three weeks have been very humbling. I've had to call, ask friends to give me a ride from here to there. I've had to say, would you go get that for me? Would you run this errand for me? Would you help me? And it is so humbling. Well, the, the, way, the way that we travel or get, get from place to place is I get in on my little go-kart, go into the garage, the passenger side of the car, transfer from the go-kart into the car. Lisa gets the go-kart, puts it in the back of the car. We go where we need to go. We get there. She goes to the back. She gets the go-kart. She brings it to the door. I get out, transfer to the go-kart. Then I'm ready. So the other day, we were going to meet Ashley, my daughter, her husband, Bryson, our grandbaby, Collins, 
we were going to meet them in Burleson for dinner. And so I get on my go-kart, I go out in the garage, I transfer into the, into the car, we get on up to, to Burleson, we get to the restaurant, we're ready to go, she goes to the back of the car, and the go-kart is back at home in the garage. We forgot to put the go-kart in the car. So now I'm in the parking lot at Mexican Inn in Burleson, 60 miles away from my go-kart. What do we do now? So we drove to the pharmacy. We were going to buy crutches. First pharmacy is closed. Next pharmacy, we thought ahead, we called. I called, do you have crutches? No, but we got a cane. Cane's not going to do it. So <clears throat> while we were pharmacy shopping, Ashley and Bryson were supposed to go on into the restaurant and get us a table. So I called Ashley. I said, look, it's not working. Mom's on her way into the restaurant. We're just going to pay for y'all's meal. Then we're going to have to go back home. I can't get from the car to the table. Ashley says, but we're not in the restaurant. We decided to go to Sam's to see if we could find some way to get you from the car to the restaurant. <laughs> Apparently all they could find was a wheelbarrow. <laughs> they didn't buy the wheelbarrow. But I said, okay, mom's on her way into the restaurant. Get back here now. Ashley and Bryson get back to the restaurant. And we're standing there in the parking lot, and I'm saying, okay, y'all go on in. I can drive. I'll drive through uh, Arby's, and then I'll eat in here in the parking lot. Y'all, No, we're not going to eat without you. It's a big deal. Ashley comes up with an idea. We've got the baby's stroller <laughs> in the car. They bring the baby stroller over, turn it around backwards. I put my knee in the baby stroller. Bryson, my son-in-law, used to play football. He's a, he's a big son of a gun. And so he holds on to the, to the handle part, and he's walking backwards while I've got my knee in the baby stroller. <laughs> We finally got to the table. We had our meal, and that, that waitress couldn't help but laugh once she found out it was okay to laugh. <laughs> and we had a time. There is no video. <laughs> there is no video. So here's where I'm headed with all that. We figured out that the baby stroller was not steady enough for a, for a fat old guy like me. And so Bryson had to hang on to the handle and help me balance that thing forward. And I couldn't help but think how grateful I was that he was there to help. And that snowballed. And I started thinking how grateful I am for all that Lisa has done this last month. And that snowballed, and I started thinking how grateful I am to so many of you 
who have helped me in so many ways this month. And I realized God made us to depend on each other. Yeah, when life is goofy, but also when life is normal, whatever that is, he made us to depend on each other. So isn't it, isn't it, uh, isn't it incredible? It's just amazing to me that he made us to depend on each other. When he chooses to step into normality and create, perform a miracle, he often still chooses to let us take care of each other even through the miracle. He created us to do that and he still lets us be involved in the opportunity. Roll away the stone. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and the stone would have fallen apart if he wanted to. But he chose to include people in the process. It was an undeserved opportunity. Sometimes, you know, we, we say, let go and let God. I, I want to challenge us again. Let's flip that. Instead of living by that, that theme, let go and let God. How about we choose this instead? Let God and let's go. Let God do his thing, but that doesn't mean that we're going to step out of it and not be involved. He chooses to allow us to be a part of what he's doing. So let God and let's go. Let's be a part of it. Let's see what he's doing and let's join him. Roll away the stone. Take away the bindings. How can you be a part of God's miracle in someone else's life this week? Watch for it. There was an unexpected miracle and there was an undeserved opportunity and then notice there was an unfair conspiracy. There was an unfair conspiracy. Starting at verse 45, many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. That's awesome because he said that's what he wanted to happen earlier in verse 42 as we, ran, as we uh, read through it earlier. Uh, I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe. That was part of the reason he did things the way he did, that others would believe. And now look at how that's being fulfilled in verse 45. Many of the Jews who came with Mary saw what he did and believed. But look at verse 46. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are, we going, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They, they have a conversation, this Sanhedrin gets together and, and, and they're talking and they're saying, this guy's going to cause problems for us. He starts doing these miracles, then, then people are going to change and, and they're going to realize that, that uh, they don't have to submit to us or the Romans and things are going to change and the Romans are going to get mad and they're going to come in and they're, they're going to cause all kinds of trouble. What do we do? Well, their choice, their decision was, let's kill him. 
That way he won't continue to interfere and cause problems. And so they came up with a plan. If we don't do something, the Romans are going to come in and it's going to be bad. Jump down to verse 53 real quick. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You know the phrase, it's the last straw or the final straw? That's really a shortened version of a longer idiom that was the straw that broke the camel's back. The idea is the camel can carry a lot. Camels are strong. They can carry a lot. But what, how much can they carry? How much till you, you get just to that, that last point where they can't carry another thing and as light as a straw is, that last straw just tipped them over the edge and the camel can't carry it anymore. It was the last straw. Throughout the, the book of John especially, we see Jesus doing signs and miracles and doing amazing things. And the Pharisees are in the shadows in the background. And often, we hear it at least three times before this, they see something happen and they do not like it. And they start talking about how to get rid of Jesus over and over. And now finally, they've gotten to the last straw. The fact that he has won victory over death, that he has opened a grave that's the last straw. There's an unfair conspiracy and they decide to put him to death. Which is why we look at it on the journey to the cross. But then I want us to, to finish by recognizing the unknown prophecy. There was an unknown prophecy. The section that I jumped over in their conversation, let's back up and look at that. Beginning in verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In verse 53, it says they decided to kill him. Why? Primarily because Caiaphas said, It'll be better for us if he's dead he's just one person let's bump him off and then the Romans will leave the whole nation alone it sounds logical and that happens so often when we have kind of an unfair conspiracy we get a group think going and we talk each other into bad decisions Caiaphas is the high priest and he says it'd be better for one to die than for the Romans to come in and hurt the whole nation of Israel. Verse 51, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Dude didn't even know he was prophesying. He thought, he was manipulating the, the group into killing Jesus. But there was an unknown prophecy. He is still high priest. And without even knowing it, God uses high priest. 
He says the words that are true. It is better for one to die for the whole nation. But Jesus didn't die just to keep the Romans happy. Jesus died because that was God's plan for all mankind. And so it says, it's better for one to die for a nation, but not just the nation, but to bring together as one all the children of God. That was the plan. That was why he was on his way to Calvary. That one would die for all. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet looked forward and said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. What's the last word? 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, is that one mediator who stands between a holy God and sinful man. Christ is the one. He is the bridge. He is the mediator between the two. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He is the propitiation. That's a big, fancy theological term for our purposes this morning. Think of it as terms of payment. The one who makes it right, the atoner. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 Peter 2 and 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you've been healed one dies for all and in that verse do you see how he is our substitute he is the lamb of God Killed in our stead. He himself bore our sins. Jesus was the only sinless person to ever walk the face of the earth. And yet he who is sinless took our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Through our journey to the cross, this series, each week we're going to sing the same song. When we sing this song in just a moment, I want you to hear these words. Where your love ran red, my sin washed white, I owe all to you. <laughs> 